This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's your inside pass to everything Saints football. Jimmy Graham brings it down, and that is a touchdown, New Orleans. We'll take you to places most fans never go. To practice, to the sideline, to the locker room, following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the Saints season. That is going to be a touchdown, Taysom Hill, to Taysom TD. Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. And that is going to be a touchdown again. And guess who? Mike Thomas. Now, here are your hosts, Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak. Oh, baby! Hey, y'all. Welcome in. I'm Jeff Nowak. This is Inside Black and Gold, a podcast about a team that a lot of people seem to hate right now. Yeah, that's uh, that's what I'm going to go with. We're going to dive in straight away this is our wednesday edition so it's a bit quick uh we're gonna go through the injury report then i'm gonna get into as many viewer questions as y'all have love to chat with y'all so if you have any comments questions if you're watching throw them in the chat and we'll get to them in the second segment it's a bit of a time crunch today so there will only be two segments and they will be bing bang boom out of here but we're going to get to as much as possible. Don't want to bog anything down. So we're going to just get right into it again. If you have comments, questions, throw them in there. But as you can see, if you're watching this, and as you may know, the Saints Panthers initial injury report is insanely long. <laughs> there's there's 29 names on this list. And that doesn't even include one player who was sent to injured reserve today. And we'll talk about that in a second. But that is more than a that is more than 25% of the Saints and Panthers rosters are currently listed on the injury report in some way, shape, or form. So as you can probably imagine, this segment is going to be mostly that. We're going to dive into the injuries, what they mean, where we're at, and what you need to pay attention to going throughout the week. So let's just start with the obvious. Derek Carr. You know, the the guy everyone loves to boo, whatever you want to say. Um, I thought he played reasonably well in that game and before he got knocked out. But so we'll have to see what the Saints are going to do in terms of his availability. It sounds like if he can clear the concussion protocol, he will be good to play. Um, the question is, can you clear the concussion protocol in a week? If you had asked me last week, I would have said most likely not. But then I saw Chris Olave go out and do exactly that. So clearly, it is possible. 
to clear the concussion protocol. You'd say, well, this is Derek Carr's second concussion in, in a month, and, and yes, but that was also Chris Olave's second concussion in a year. So what do you want to call that, right? Like either you clear it or you don't. Um, he was Derek Carr was at practice today. He looks fine. Um, in terms of, you know, there was no limitations. You're talking about rib injuries. You're talking about a shoulder injury. It's the same shoulder injury we've been talking about all year. The rib injury was initially reported as a back, but it's a rib injury. And as you, you know, if anyone's familiar with human anatomy, you got ribs in the front and the back. So you can do, you can mess with both of them. Right. Um, so though that doesn't seem to be an issue, I'm sure he's going to be wearing a flak jacket if he plays, but that's the question right now is can Derek Carr be available you know, we talked we talked about this on Monday in Monday's episode. You know, Dennis Allen was asked, how is this different from the issue with Jameis last year where you were like, OK, he's dealing with way too many injuries. We're going to sit him down for Andy Dalton. And he said it's a completely different situation. It's a completely different situation. And I'm just a right quote again. He said it. I'm pretty sure he said it three or four times. It's a completely different situation. It's not a completely different situation. Like, I think we can all accept that this is a very similar situation. Um, but I would say it's it's closer to week three than it would have been in week two in terms of where you were at with Jameis. But, you know, all we can do is ask the question and he's going to answer however he sees fit. And it's pretty clear that based on what he said today, based on what DA said today, if Derek can clear the concussion protocol, he'd be good to go. Um, one thing that I was curious about that I still don't have a clear answer on is whether the concussion protocol changes at all when you go into it for a second time within a certain time frame, a month, two months, whatever. From my understanding, it doesn't. From my understanding, there are five steps you have to clear, and those steps are the same as they would be two weeks ago compared to today. The only real difference is whether the doctors are a bit more cautious with, you know, if they're on the fence about something you know, they'll probably lean the other way than you would be, you know, in the initial kind of status check. So it's going to be something to watch either way. He was out there today. This was kind of the, you know, that, that Wednesday practice is important. If you are going to be able to get back in one week, then you probably have to be practicing on that Wednesday because you have to get through a full practice and you have to be cleared. Derek did not get through a full practice today. He was limited. So if he is unable to get in a full practice on Thursday or Friday, he won't be able to go. But as of right now, it feels like you are on track. So moving on, there's a lot of names on this list. So we're going to go through them one by one and talk about them. Defensive end. Uh, let's go through actually the DNPs first. There were six, there were seven DNPs, one of whom was defensive tackle Malcolm Roach. He got a knee injury late in the game. He left. He's now on injured reserve. So he will not be returning. Dennis Allen said on Monday that it's probably an injury that's going to require surgery. So I think you're going to not see him the rest of the way. Even if he did return, it would be for week 17. Marcus May is another safety. He did not participate. He has also been added to injured reserve. They're, they have been replaced on the roster. At least their spots have been replaced on the roster. And these are, these are names that you will not know unless you know, you're, a big, uh, you're a big Titans fan here. So they claimed... Monty Rice, a linebacker off the Titans. He was he was waived by the Titans. The Saints claimed him. So that's another depth linebacker. And it probably is a good indicator that Pete Werner might still be a few, you know, a week away at, at minimum if you're adding linebackers to the roster. The other guy was PJ Mustafer, who they signed off the Broncos practice squad. 
I don't anticipate either guy will make a huge impact, but those are two new names that we're going to keep track of on the roster. So they are filling the spots of Malcolm Roach and Marcus May. All right, so let's go through the other six players who did not participate. That includes defensive end Isaiah Foskey. He's dealing with that quad injury again, and that's frustrating to me because he was not on the injury report last week. So that means that he has suffered some sort of re-aggravation of that quad, and so you're dealing with it again. Uh, I don't know. You know, it's tough to say whether he's going to be able to come back and play, but anytime you miss a couple weeks with an injury and then you get through it and you get back and you get listed again with that same injury on the next injury report, it's obviously suboptimal at best. So defensive ends already a position you're limited at. Cam Jordan played in that game, but he was very limited. So you're going to have to figure it out. Peyton Turner still has not returned to practice, even though he is eligible to do so. I was halfway expecting that to happen this week. Maybe next week. Either way, he's dealing with that turf toe injury, so it's going to take him a little while to get back. So no update there. Cam Jordan, as I mentioned, he did not participate. He's still dealing with that ankle injury. Running back Kendra Miller, also dealing with an ankle injury. We haven't seen him in several weeks. Again, frustrating rookie player. You want to see more out of him, but nothing you can do with an ankle injury. Wide receiver Rashid Shahid dealing with that thigh injury. Did not practice again, but Dennis Allen did say that he is – Getting closer, he is progressing, so maybe he's able to get back to practice this week and and give the Saints offense a shot in the arm against the Panthers. We'll have to wait and see. Um, the only other player, quarterback Taysom Hill. This is one that kind of surprised me. We talked to Taysom after the game. He didn't have any clear issues in terms of you know what he was dealing with, but he was listed on this injury report as with a foot and a left-hand injury when it's a quarterback or a kicker. You have to specify which limb in case you didn't know that. When you're talking about a quarterback's hand, shoulder, you will actually learn left versus right. And any other position other than a kicker's leg, you don't actually have to designate. So that's kind of a funny thing about the injury report. If you're talking about a quarterback, you know, it's his left hand, which means it's his non-throwing hand. If Cam Jordan had a hand injury, it would just say hand. And you would have to guess. Anyway. Quarterbacks, you don't have to guess. So that's obviously important. Jason Hill has been a huge piece of this Saints offense. And particularly if you're going into it without Derek Carr, you'd want to have that available to you. And, you know, we'll have to see over the next couple of days. Jason Hill is a tough guy. I'm more concerned with the hand injury than I am the foot injury because we've already seen that Taysom is susceptible to fumbles. You know, he's been used more in the passing game if you can't catch. And that's clear and you're limited in that way, then it just, you know, the benefit of having Taysom is he's always on the field and you don't know what he's going to do. Well, if he can't catch, you know, then, then that obviously limits what you can do with him. So that'll be one to watch. But I, I expect Taysom to be out there. A couple others, as we've mentioned previously, tight end Jimmy Graham, rest day, right tackle Ryan Ramchek, rest day. So that's nothing new. Jimmy Graham actually played this past Sunday, so we can't complain that he's getting a rest day after not playing, but he's getting a rest day. Maybe this maybe this next week he will play more than three snaps, and we can all talk about why haven't they been doing this the whole time? Because every time he gets on the field, he catches a touchdown. Anyway, um, the other one, tight end Jawan Johnson, also dealing with a quad injury. He was limited. Now, I don't know. I don't know what's going on with Juwan. He's he's dealing with a calf injury early in the season. He really has not been effective. And now he's on the injury report with a quad issue. It's it's tough. It's tough to really evaluate what he's done this year. Um, But it does, you know, uh, this is a different topic for a different day. But you look at the Saints and you look at 
them getting torn up week after week after week after week by these athletic move tight ends. And then you see the Saints and you're like, why don't why can't we do that? Why why can't we get in on that action and get some tight end production? Uh, so yeah, uh, hopeful. I mean, ho- I'm hopeful. I still believe in Juwan. I still believe that Juwan can get it done. You can't have drops, right? You know, it's like you talk about having trust in a receiver. Well, one quick, very quick way to lose the trust of your quarterback is have a ball hit you in the hands and not only not catch it, deflect it up for an interception. Like a drop would have been just as bad there in terms of like losing the confidence of the quarterback. But like you didn't just not catch it. You created points for the other team. And that's just ah, that's just brutal. Um, so we'll have to see what you want. Foster Morrow is obviously available at the tight end position, um, but you want Juwan out there. Center Eric McCoy and tackle Andres Pete both dealing with shoulder injuries. These are both injuries that they dealt with last week. So if they didn't miss last week's game, they will not really be at risk to miss this week's game. Sorry, I have a I have a dog who's making all sorts of making all sorts of noise. The dog wanted to be in here when I started, even though I told her I was like, "Hey, you probably want to stay out there." Well, now. There's someone else home, and she wants to get out of the room. But I'm I'm talking to you, so we're gonna we're gonna sit here for a couple more minutes, and she's gonna relax. Yeah, relax. Okay, getting back to it. Offensive chat. Oh, we already talked about Ryan Ramchick, linebacker Pete Warner dealing with the shoulder oblique issue. He was limited today, but again, you went out and signed a linebacker off of waivers. If nothing else, that's an indicator that you are hedging your bets that you may be, you know low in terms of your numbers at linebacker. I thought Nephi Sewell had a very good day in terms of filling in for Pete Warner. You go back and watch the tape and that really does stand out. He did struggle early on, but I thought he made a really good impact as that game wore on. So, you know, again, I think I've said this, one of the things the Saints have done really well over the years is develop linebackers. It's part of the reason when you say, well, you're really going to pay Kay Nellis $9 million a year or seven, whatever it is. And you're like, yeah, but we found him in the seventh round out of Idaho. Why can't we, why wouldn't we just go find another linebacker and develop them when we have proven, we have a proven track record of doing that. And that was kind of my reasoning at the time. And then you see guys like Nephi Sewell step up and they're like, see, this is where you kind of need that. Either way, you know, that's one. And then Blake Groupie is also listed on this injury part with a right groin issue. But he was a full participant. Those are the injuries, right? (laughs) So you have two players go to IR, and then you have, oh, man, I already lost count. Four, eight, 12, 15 players listed with injuries. (laughs) Or 13 players listed with injuries, two rest days. Not exactly what you're hoping to see going into week 14, but that's kind of just the NFL at this time of the year. It's crazy with injuries. There's only so much you can do to avoid them. Um, You know, this... Yeah, it, it's it, this it, this time of year. It's a lot of times it's when you play teams versus as opposed to which teams you play. And uh, you know this is obviously the time the Saints need wins. They cannot afford to lose any more games, and they're going to have to do it without some playmakers. So we'll have to watch that on the Panther side. They have a lot of injuries as well, but only one player missed practice due to an injury that was defensive end to Sean Williams. He's dealing with a knee injury. The other three, cornerback Troy Hill, offensive tackle, t- offensive tackle Taylor Moton, and wide receiver Adam Thielen, these were all rest days, so you would anticipate that all those guys would be good to go. The rest, the other you know, 10 names or so, 
We're all limited in practice. That's safety Von Bell with a shoulder injury. Center Bradley Bozeman with an ankle injury. I'm sorry. Yeah, with an ankle injury. Safety Jeremy Chin with a quad injury. Offense, outside linebacker, defensive end, basically. It's a 3-4 defense now, so you have outside linebackers instead of DNs. Um, well, you have you have DNs, but they're technically D tackles. It's a whole thing. But outside linebacker, Yeter, Gross Matos, pass rusher. He's got a hamstring issue. Edge rusher, Marquise Hansen, Marquise. Haynes senior dealing with a back issue cornerback JC Horn. So JC Horn and Jeremy Chen are both guys who missed a good chunk of this season. JC Horn, I don't believe is out there in week two. Um, and the saints will have to be dealing with them. They got back and this makes a pretty effective defense, even for a one on 11 team. It's a solid defense and it makes that group even better. So, you know, they're going to have to do something. Cornerback JC Horn still deal, still limited with that hamstring. That was the injury that got him on IR, or at least a hamstring injury got him on IR and he's still limited due to the hamstring. So, you know, not a, not a banner season for, for him in terms of health. Yeah. Tight end Hayden Hurst dealing with a concussion. He was limited tight end. Stefan Sullivan, former LSU guy, uh, limited with a shoulder injury, tight end, Tommy tremble, hip issue. He's limited and outside linebacker, Amari Barno ankle he was a full participant so a lot of tight ends on this list a lot of players on this list the availability of a lot of these guys will be massive to watch going forward but that's just again that's where we're at in this portion of the season right you're looking at starting quarterbacks you're looking at starting wide receivers you're like okay are you going to have them are you not going to have them and that's a huge factor in these matchups and frankly this is a game that i think if you look at it from the saints perspective you better win (laughs) <laughs> you know, it like we can get all worked up about about this, about that, about what the Saints should do, about moves they should make, about how the offense should run, about how Derek Carr should play. If you can't go out it to your home stadium and beat a one in eleven football team, you can no longer pretend to that I should take you seriously as a winning organization. I don't care who's healthy. I don't care what state your roster is in. I don't care what plays you have to call. <laughs> this is a must-win game against a 1-11 football team. If you can't go out there and win, and really win convincingly, like you should not allow this to come down to the wire the way the, the way it did last week for, I want to say, the Bucks and they beat the Panthers. You know, I think it was 21-18. That's not how you should be winning these games. You need to go out and prove to yourself and to your fans that they should take you seriously as an organization. Because right now, it's hard to do that. Right now, you're looking at a team that goes out and you know lays an egg in the first quarter of a game and then decides, you know what, this is kind of embarrassing. Maybe we'll get this sorted out. Right. That's that's where this team is at right now. And that's what needs to change. And hopefully it can. But we're going to change topics here again. I'm Jeff Nowak. This is Inside Black and Gold. We just broke down the initial week 14 injury report. 29 names total on it. One of those will be coming off. Two of those will be coming off of the Saints and going to injured reserve. Uh, So it will be 27 as of tomorrow, assuming no more names get added. But all right, let's wrap up that segment. Again, the second segment, the last segment will be a mailbag. So if you have any questions, comments, topics, hot takes, cat photos, whatever that you want to get into, throw them in the chat. I know you can't actually post a photo of your cat, but if you want to like paste a link and I'll go check it out, you know what? I'm all for cat photos. It's kind of, I mean, I love cats. I have three cats. 
cats. It's too many cats, but I, you know, I don't have much say in the matter. But anyway, this isn't a podcast about cats, but that might be more entertaining. Get your comments, questions in there. We will get to as many as possible in the back half of this program. Again, Inside Black and Gold, I'm Jeff Nowak. You can check me out at Jeff underscore Nowak. We'll be right back. Inside Black and Gold. I am Jeff Nowak. This is the live mailbag portion of the episode. But let's let's just get into you know this is this is a funny thing to me because you know there's a there's a lot of reasons to be mad at Derek Carr. I guess like if you don't like Derek Carr and you don't like how he's playing and you could criticize this and that and this and that. This text says free mind and there's a couple of people in here who are saying the same thing. It says Carr be faking injuries, which. You know, there are there are things to criticize Derek Carr about. Um, being tough is not one of them, right? Like Derek has been hit, right? These are real hits. These are brutal hits. Um, and you can say that he has a role in taking them, but the fact of the matter is, these are not these are not you know injuries that are just like oh poor baby, you know, get him a. Get him a get him a water bottle and then walk it off kind of injuries. Like if you watch that hit, Bruce Irvin, I mean, drove him into the turf. It's the exact like that hit and the result of that hit is exactly why that's not a legal hit anymore. Like we'll watch NFL games and you'll see like a body weight tackle and they'll throw a penalty. It's 15 yards. And you're like, wow, that was soft, right? But but like that knocked Derek out of the game. For good reason. Like he was hurt. He dealt with a rib injury, messed with his shoulder, and he has a concussion. You know, like those are the type of hits that the NFL wants to get rid of because of that. You know, he took a huge hit against the Packers and, and he went out with that shoulder injury. He actually didn't have a concussion in that game. And then he took another huge hit against the Vikings, and that was a legal hit. I think that was Daniil Hunter, might be wrong. And you could you watch go watch that hit back. You can see his head just snap back. And so, you know, like, again, I don't think the issue is is like, man, he's not tough enough. I think, you know, at a certain point, you have to protect him from himself, right? Like, you have to say, no, you are not playing at a high enough level, and the injuries are playing a factor in that. It can't just be Derek says he's cool to play, so we're going to play him. There's got to be more to that conversation. And that's why DA kind of shutting that whole idea down immediately after the game felt weird. Because it's like, no, you, you're the health of your starting quarterback, the health of, of this person should be important. That should be a topic of conversation, not just it's a different situation. Anyway, so no, I don't think Derek's faking anything. I think Derek is just as frustrated as everybody else in terms of, man, he's not a guy who gets hurt. Like he's only missed a handful of games in his NFL career um, due to injury. And, and, you know, I guess he hasn't technically missed a game yet this season due to injury. He's just missed a majority of the second half in, in, in multiple games in three different games. And so, you know, that, that, that counts uh, in Derek's mind and it counts in my mind as well. Uh, Trap 504 says, that's crazy. Derek is already back at practice. Dude must be a mutant. Uh, I don't know if he's a mutant, but you know, again, you know, he's, he's not a guy who's gonna, who's gonna sit out unless, you know, you make him, uh, and, the, and, and that's and that's my question is, is he going to, if he is healthy, if he does clear the concussion protocol, 
are you putting a guy out there who can play at high enough level to have success? Or are you just kind of caving to the whims of a guy who is too proud to not play a football game? You know, and I don't know the answer to that. I'm not a team doctor. I don't get to watch the full practices. What I will say is that, you know, he didn't look like a guy who, you know, he he, he didn't, he, the limitations aren't obvious. Like you're not, you know, it's, but it was the same thing in week four. You know, I watched him prior to the game and he was throwing fastballs. Like you could see he had the, the arm was there, but you, then you watch the game and you're like, you know, some of these throws are just, you know, you can see where the where the shoulder is probably having an effect. And he's been dealing with this all season. I don't know how much of this season you can look at and say, well, the shoulder is affecting him in these certain areas. Like, I don't know. All I know is that you don't go out with the same injury three times and have it be, well, that wasn't affecting him prior, right? Like, this is an injury that he has been dealing with all year. Whether he can play through it, and whether it's there are two different questions. Um, and so that's just something you're going to have to watch. Uh, Snakebite says, I think he should sit out. And that's fair. Um, we'll, we'll see. The dark side. I think this is a Raiders uh, a Raiders fan who who's here, uh, which cool. I don't, I don't have a problem with that. He says, Carr is two for two on TDs to Jimmy in the red zone. The problem is that the first TD was in week three. And for some reason, Pete hasn't used Jimmy in the red zone for eight straight weeks until week 13. Ch- guys, I'm on board. I agree. I think it's ridiculous. And, we, you know, it's like we've asked this question. Why isn't Jimmy Graham used more? Right? And, and there's just no answer. I don't, it doesn't make sense. But, you know, there, there's another one in here that says, you know, it's probably has something to do with an injury. There's no injury. Jimmy's not dealing with an injury. Jimmy is perfectly fine. He's just not playing. I, it's inexplicable. I don't understand it. Um, but, you know, it's even in that game, he only played three snaps. Uh, he got a touchdown. I think it's just like they have a very limited package for what they're going to do with Jimmy Graham throughout a game. And you go through the calculus of every week, okay, we can only have 48 players active. And every week you're making some sort of difficult decision in terms of, okay, who are we making inactive versus who are we not? And you're looking at it and saying, well, this guy contributes on special teams, right? This is a backup linebacker. We need the backup. This is a backup running back. We need to, what, what happens when the running back? And then inevitably you get to the point where you're like, okay, well, Jimmy's only going to do these very specific things. So if we're having someone be inactive, that's who it's going to be, right? And, you know, there are points throughout a season where you look at the inactive list and it's, it's five to seven injured players. You're not talking about, okay, pick one or the other. And the Saints throughout much of this season have had pretty good health. And you haven't had injured players completely filling up the inactives. This past week, you pretty much did. Like you're talking about Nick Saldaveri, guys like that, and then injured players. And that's how Jimmy got on the field. So we'll see. I mean, what I will say for that game is like Jimmy was only used once, but they did do a very good job in the red zone in that game. One thing that DA talked about that I think is actually a good point. And, you know, DA, a lot of times will just say stuff, but and occasionally you'll get a coaching point that kind of filters through that no one asked for. That actually is an interesting thing, which in this case, it's that the Saints kind of identified as they looked at the red zone that when they're struggling in the red zone, when they're struggling to convert in the red zone, it's because they get kind of bogged down 
from the 20 to the five, right? But when you go inside the five and you look at their success rate, once you get inside the five, it's very high. They've done a very good job. This is a team that when you're in the red zone is, has been effective in short yardage, whether that's Taysom Hill, whether that's Tony Jones Jr., right? Whether that's Alvin Kamara, that's where you've scored the bulk of your red zone touchdowns. And so you look at how week 13 went, right? Well, what is the common denominator outside of that Jimmy, Jimmy Graham touchdown? That was, I'd have to look, but it was not from inside the five, right? But the other three touchdowns, right, was two Alvin Kamara runs and a Taysom Hill run. They were all one, two, I think two of them were one-yard touchdown runs. One of them was a two-yard touchdown run, right? And so it's like you're trying to find the solution to how you get better in the red zone. And I do think that that's a good coaching point. And, and it's something that it's like, you could say, well, yeah, it's obvious get inside the five. Everyone wants to be inside the five, but you look at how they operated in the red zone in the games. They struggled in the red zone. Go look at the Jags game when they had a chance to go score a touchdown and tie the game. And they had four shots at it. You know where they took those shots from the six right in the Texans game. They had it inside the red zone. You know, it might have been the 24-yard line. I can't remember. But, like, they were at the fringe of the red zone. And instead of trying to get close and get to the goal line and finish it off, they were going for it all on every play. And to me, that's an adjustment that you make that is actually effective. So, like, I think as you look at it and as you see this offense try to adjust to that, I think that was a good adjustment. And I think it's a good observation. And, you know, as long as you can take advantage of it, that's great. And if you can continue to make life miserable on teams at the goal line, I'm okay with it, right? So anyway, like I thought the red zone that like you you look at things from this game, this this awful, no good, very bad game where you went down 21 nothing and everything seemed terrible. And so what are you pulling out of that? Well, going forward, if you can be as efficient in the red zone or even you know, not not even 100%. If you can be 75% or 50% in the red zone, you win a lot more of these games. You beat the Falcons if you're 50% in the red zone. So that's kind of what you're looking at. And this team knows that if it can win its final five games, you get to 10 wins. And so you look at it. Now, I don't know why you would assume they'd win their final five games, but that's how this team is going to operate. They're not going to look at it and say, well, we're done. We can't get anywhere. They're looking at it and saying, okay, we figured something out here and let's continue to, to get better at it. The issue is, you know, you lost your quarterback. So there's only so much, so much you can do there. Uh, Jerry G says, start Jameis or Jake. And, you know, I do think it's interesting in terms of, you know, I don't think they're considering starting Jake Hayner right now. And I think that's fair because, you know, like Jameis has been there. And if you are looking to start somebody, it should be the guy who you brought in to start meaningful games. If these games stop being meaningful, if you lose to the Panthers and you lose to and, and, and you know, suddenly you're two games back of the Falcons without the tiebreaker in hand. I think it's time to play for the future. And, you know, I talked about it on Monday. I'm pro- I was probably premature in the, in the idea of like, okay, week 13, week 14, this is when you should start doing that. But at a certain point you have to. Um, but right now I don't get the indication at, at anywhere that they're, they're considering starting Jake Hayner. Uh, maybe, maybe someday, but not, I don't think it's, I don't think it's something they're really looking at this week. KD says, if we had better coaching, they'd either put Carr in better position to win, like more play action, or they would just start somebody else. Yeah, I mean, the, the play action, it, it's funny because when you talk to Pete, you ask him what 
is kind of the one of the, what is one of the founding principles of this offense. And he will tell you play action and, and play fakes. And they just don't do it very often. Part of that is they have not been able to establish the run in order to do it. You know, like running a play fake just to run a play fake isn't really that beneficial if no one's going for the play fake. Right when you're down 21 nothing. I don't think the 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 Lions are going to be like, oh yes, we got to sell out to stop the run, right? So your play fake really isn't having much effect. But no, I do think that 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 is something that they that they should look at um, in terms of just doing it doing it more frequently and and more effectively. Goonie three hundred says, AK forty one injuries say a lot about coaching. I I don't I don't know about that. Um, I just think. Alvin Kamara is a guy who's going to tell you how, what he feels and he's going to be honest with you regardless of, of how that makes other people up here, you know? And I don't say that as a, I don't say that as a negative. I say that it's like, you just have to appreciate, like you have to understand what he's saying and understand where it's coming from. And it's, it's, and it's like, I have never gotten the impression from Alvin that he is, kind of sub commenting, if you will, like you talk about subtweeting that Alvin is trying to sub undermine what other, what the coaches are doing. People like to infer that upon his statements. And to me, it's all coming from a positive place. It's coming from a, everyone's pulling in the same direction kind of place, but he's just so blunt about it that people take it to take it to another level. Like then like, Chris Olave was asked if the if the booing was warranted in the game, and he kind of had this smirk on his face. And I've said this before, like the amateur behavioral psychology on Twitter is so annoying um, because it's like you don't know. You're just people are like, "Ooh, he must think that it was." And he responded, "He was like, I just didn't know what you meant by warranted. <laughs> he didn't know what it meant, and so like he was just awkward, and he and he smiled in that moment, uh, and so." Like I, I get tired of that. Like, listen to what they are saying. Don't pretend to understand what the body language means. Either you like, if, like I, I don't know why why I get so annoyed by that. But it's just like, either someone says something or they don't. The idea that you know that they're thinking something else because they make a face or it takes them a second to answer a question. That's just like that's so toxic. It really is. David GRG says, just just bashing Derek is not fair. My point would be coaching where DA has failed many times to hold people accountable. Wherever Derek has been hurt, we have lost that game. Yeah, well, I I will say like, you know, the two games Derek got hurt and they lost. I wouldn't put that on Jameis. I would put that on you were in a hole and, you know, there's only so much you can expect a backup quarterback to be able to do. I don't think that he that Jameis necessarily put his best foot forward in 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 certain elements of those games, right? Like those, he I thought he he had a really nice start against the Vikings, but then there was just two really bad interceptions that you know kind of eliminated your opportunities to come back there, right? You had two interceptions in the final four minutes of that game. That yeah, that can't happen. Right. So like, while I'm not going to put that in, he's, he's not the reason they were down 21 points, 24 points. Right. So I'm not blaming him for not being able to come all the way back from that because you basically right off the game at that point, the fact that they even had a chance was because he made some really, really spectacular plays in that game. The only one I'll put on him to an extent of like, 
man, one drive, one effective drive, and you put this game away is the Packers game, right? Like that's a game you should have won. And you and but you you just you weren't able to do it right like you weren't able to create offense and yeah I, like I get it Blake Griffey missed that field goal at the end but you know that was after you allowed the Packers to score 18 points without any interference so I don't know like I do think the coaching at that point like the whole idea of keeping Jameis was just so that he could go in and and you know you wouldn't miss a beat but it doesn't seem like 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 it seems like the offense sputters in a lot of ways, not just with Jameis, not just with Jameis in the game. Like it seems like the strategies that go into it, like the play calling is weird. Like it's like you, it doesn't seem like there's a plan when Jameis goes in. And that's not a, like a dig on Jameis. It's a dig on the coaching. It's a dig on the play calling. It seems like they're just like, Derek goes out and Jameis goes in and they're just like, oh shit, we're done. You know, let's, let's wave the white flag. We're just going to run these, you know, kind of, vanilla vanilla designs and maybe we'll get lucky um anyway that's like personally you had plenty of time in that game like that that's what annoyed like it didn't the passes didn't necessarily annoy me because you knew Jameis was coming in cold right you knew that he wasn't going to be you know like on perfect sync synchronization with his receivers because he doesn't work with them in the week like this is not a you know this is not a situation where you're splitting reps in practice Derek gets the like the QB1 gets the reps so you're not there's there's not a ton of rapport there, but you were running the ball like you you were running it down their throat. Why'd you stop? Why'd you stop? Like you <laughs> you you had a positive play on first down, and then you threw the ball three times from the forty. Like you could have run it all the way down the field. I wanted them to run it all the way down the field. I wanted them to burn the clock down because I didn't want to hand the ball back to the Lions with a score. But for some reason. You you get into second second and six and you make an incompletion. Then suddenly running is not an option, but that's four down. So you should it's and you can make the same argument against the Vikings that like the play calling did not adjust to this scenario of the game the way it should have. And I think the same thing happened there where you just didn't you, you know you got into your own head and you're like, well, you got to throw it. No, you don't run the damn ball. Anyway, so we can uh, we can we can continue. Oh crap, Jeff, be real on Jameis, Kivo says. What, what are you talking about? I mean, I think Jameis didn't play particularly well in that game. But again, it's like your backup goes in and you need to <laughs> you, you need to play in a way that accentuates what he does well, not asks him to do stuff <laughs> that he might not be able to do. Um, and it's like you have a running game that has worked and been effective. Like run the ball. And then and then hit him with a hard play action, right? Like, if you don't, yeah. anyway, well, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. The play calling is very, uh, very, very questionable a lot of the time. Let's get to one more question here, one more good question, and then we will we will get on out of here. That's Kivo. The media got a let off car. You know, I I do think that that the the focus on Derek being not being good enough is probably missing the larger picture of like what 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 did you expect to see versus what is happening right like what what did you expect to be different in terms of using playmakers in terms of the offense and you know i i do think that he has played well in at points and he has been inconsistent and the problem is that's kind of been the story of his career 
and it was the story of that game. It was the story of week week 13, right? Like you saw a guy who, you know, there was a couple drops, right? There was a, there, there, it wasn't perfect, but you also didn't see a guy make plays. Like, like again, like I think being hypercritical of the AT Perry miss in terms of not throwing it to a wide open receiver and checking it down to the tight end. I think the idea that that's a problem is probably overplayed, but it's, it's also it's also not it's just not playing quarterback at a high level in that moment. And I just think there's a lot of points in the game where you see that but then you you get into the second quarter and he locks in and suddenly, you know, you're you're he's throwing dimes. Like there were a couple throws in that game. You go back and you look at him like that's a freaking dime. Like that's a great throw. Um like he made one to to Foster. I think it was Foster Morrow. Maybe it was AT Perry. There was a couple, you know, third and long conversions that you just laid it in into the second level. And you're just like, okay, where has that been? And I, I don't know. Like, that's the only reason I look at it. And I'm like, well, maybe you should boom more off it. Cause like, whether he wants to admit it or not, I think it kind of like, I think it, I think it got something. I think, I don't know. I don't know. I think he's the type of guy who, who operates at a higher level when he feels like people are, people are, are shitting on him, right? Who people are not, you know, when he wants to prove people wrong. I, I genuinely do. I just think that that's, you know, that's just how some people are wired, you know? So maybe, maybe, maybe being mean to him is the answer. Maybe DA needs to be mean to him. Tim Fabenro says, preach it, Jeff. How can you, how real can you be with these coaches? How do you as a pro journalist come up with better strategy than NFL offensive coaches? Trust me. I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm full of shit. Um, but I mean, it's, it's not that difficult to look back in hindsight and say, you should have done this. Right. <laughs> like you, like that's an easy thing to do. That's the easiest analysis in the world is, well, that didn't work. You should have done something else. <laughs> right. So like, I don't, I, I like, I, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I have any idea of how to, how to scheme and, and come up with a game plan. Um, and, you know, but at a certain point you just need to do this, the common sense things like run the ball. And I feel like at times offensive coordinators and Mark Slareth said this, we played Mark Slareth's audio. Um, I think last week, maybe, maybe two weeks ago, I can't remember, but he talked about this too. It's like, I think offensive coordinators at points try to overcomplicate things because they're like, well, I'm an offensive coordinator. I'm supposed to be smarter than them. I'm supposed to come up with these, these complex plans to, to, to fool the defense and to, to get guys wide open for huge plays. And sometimes the best answer is, just run the freaking ball. <laughs> Just run the ball. Run the ball. Kivo says, what if the game plan was to involve Juwan early? You know, that, that is a good point. And I think that's like, okay, what is the progression there is what should be being asked. Like, do you bail on a progression because the coverage busts somewhere that is not in the progression, right? Because the deep over comes open. Do you bail on the progression? And so I don't know what the progression was. And they're never going to tell us what the progression was. But I do think that is a play where you are, like it was, it is designed for Jawan to block and then leak across the formation. And that's a play that works. Like I love that play. And whether you should have bailed on it and gone to something else, that is the design for Jawan to leak out. And you've seen that, like I think go back to the, the Saints Jaguars game. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater was the quarterback. So this is 2019. Jared Cook does that for like a 35 yard gain, right? Like he just blocks, leaks out, you find him in the flat, and he and he runs. Now, this play probably did wasn't as high yield as that because of the defense, because the defense, the strength of the defense was that was where you were going. And the weakness of the defense was where you didn't go. But it's the first play of the game. 
you don't know exactly how they're going to come out and approach that that scheme, that defense. So I think if you, probably if you saw that in the second quarter, in the third quarter, you do go to A.T. Perry. You know, so I think that that's probably undersold. It's just, you know, every, you're looking for a reason. You're looking for reasons to to say this quarterback hasn't done a good enough job. And frankly, there are a lot of, of things you can point to. And Derek has given people way too many excuses. But I do agree. I think that there's never enough nuance in the conversation of, okay, not perfect, right? I think like this is kind of how I approach it. So you want to grade decisions. And this is how like teams do it. They give grades. They don't, they don't say, well, you, you fucked this up. You fucked that up. No, they give you a grade. And they grade your decision making and they and they they look at missed opportunities. Did you go through the progression the right way? Did you make the right read? And so, like, I think when you look at that, you're like, okay, there is an A plus decision here. Not every play is going to have an A plus decision. Some are just going to have B decisions, C decisions. But this is an A plus decision to to throw to AT Perry wide open, right? As he comes and as they bust the coverage and he comes open. Now, throwing to Juwan isn't an F decision. That's the probably the B decision. That's probably like, you know, you 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 took the secondary option that was not the best option, but it's still a positive option. It's not a D option, it's not a mistake. It's just a lower yield option. And so that's where I think people get frustrated is you're not you don't seem to be getting the A plus decision when there's an A plus decision to be made. You end up getting the B decision or the or the B minus decision where it's instead of a potential 20-yard gain, it's a four-yard gain. It's three yards in a cloud of dust. Like, Juwan wasn't going to break that for 20 yards, but it's probably a five-yard gain on first down. And the problem is that's what you seem to be getting way too often when you're getting soft coverages and you're getting opportunities. So to me, that's kind of where I look at it and say, I want my quarterback to be able to find that A-plus decision. I need him to be able to find that A plus decision when there's an A plus decision to be made. And in that case there was, and it wasn't made. So that's the frustration for me. But again, it's not as simple as saying, well, this guy sucks. He can't get it done. Cause there's a lot of quarterbacks who, who do this, who, who do that sort of thing, who, who don't make the perfect throw, who don't make the perfect read, you know? And if, if like a perfect quarterback, you know, if you, if you can get your hands on a Pat Mahomes, right? If you can get your hands on a Drew Brees or a Tom Brady fan, freaking tastic. Uh, you know, you you take what you could get, right? And you try to win football games. You try to win as many football games as you can. That's kind of where the Saints are at right now. But all right, I'm Jeff Nowak. This is Inside Black and Gold. Thanks everyone uh, for for checking it out. If you like what you see, if you want to hear more, go subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Again, just search Inside Black and Gold. We're on all the players. You'll find us. Um, if you haven't subscribed here, go ahead and do that. Ring the bell. Appreciate all y'all. You can hit me up on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak. And uh, yeah, uh, if you have any questions, comments you want us to get to on a podcast, feel free. We're going to have an, another episode coming at you on Friday morning. Going to get into, you know, we talked to a lot of the players about all the, about the booing and I have some strong opinions on that. And we, we can get into more of that um, in the Friday episode. We're going to hear from Mickey Loomis, who had some really weird things to say about the Lions fans being in the building and why he thinks that is. And so we'll, we'll get into that. Uh, and then we'll have uh, a, a Panthers reporter come in and kind of give us the lowdown on what's been going on. So make sure to stay tuned for that episode. As always, again, thanks everyone for tuning in. Appreciate everyone who watches, everyone who leaves the comments. Everyone who leaves a comment 
I'm, it's it's very you know it always amazes me how many people show up and, and engage in these things because I, I enjoy doing them so it's nice to get that interaction so appreciate y'all talking to you later in the week kudat go saints easy y'all peace